1: Rocks Across the Pond, coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining me as always, fresh out of quarantine, is Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, how are you today?
0: I'm good. Uh, I've been out of quarantine six days now, So, but Montreal went back into Code Red the day after I got out of quarantine.
1: Yeah, so you're like locked down now, right? Basically. Well, you're, you're, you're getting to what? Go outside and like walk but other than that nothing right
0: walk you can go to stores um restaurants coffee shops like all kinds of public places are closed so uh, curling rinks are closed so i was i brought my curling shoes hoping i could sneak in um some curling and uh it uh, looks like most of the clubs in montreal have postponed at least for 28 days and maybe until january so curling is pretty much off for the moment too
1: and then when, when you get back, you have to go right back into quarantine again, right? So you have you have no idea. Is curling basically done for you?
0: Um, so actually, so, I mean, okay, so short answer is no, because um, England's starting to ramp up its lockdown too. And as a consequence, the rink I play at has pushed back until – second week of November. So actually I won't miss any of the season if it runs, but if you're just following the COVID case numbers anywhere in the global North, um, it's not good right now. Right. So the news out of the U S obviously with the president's not good. Um, We'll, we'll get to the news out of Kitchener-Waterloo in a second, but that's not good. Uh, You know, news in Montreal is not good. and News in the UK is not good. So the the second wave that uh, the epidemiologists have been talking about for months, it, it looks like it's really kicking off now. So I suspect it's, we're just going to go back into lockdown everywhere, and we're just not going to have curling this season. I'm starting to feel super pessimistic today. So, hey, same here. But hey. yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> when am I when have I not been pessimistic about this season?
0: You've you've been right on that, although wrong about you encouraging me to go to play in the Stu Sal Scishner Waterloo.
1: Yeah, we'll get to that
0: in a second. <laughs> All right.
1: So thinking back to our last show where you interviewed Mike Ferguson from the Forfer Ice Rink there in Scotland about the British Players Curling Championship, we did receive an email from Tom Pendray, who, uh who is from Scotland and also in, involved in the event a little bit, it sounds like. Um, but he just wrote to us to let us know that Um, you know, this event is, you know, not being, being supported, not, not financially like British curling is not behind it, but, but British curling does support this event happening. It's not something that's being done in spite of British curling because British curling sees this as, um, you know, a chance for this to be a pathway to developing the future funded curlers in the British program. Um, and it's an opportunity to see new talent. It's an opportunity to see previously funded athletes uh, where they can prove that they should be reselected. So uh, British Curling views this event as a positive, and Tom just wanted to make sure that that we knew that.
0: Yeah, I think that's it's all great news. So it's good to see them collaborating, and it's good to see this, uh, this new event taking off and perhaps providing uh, a bit more kind of competitive space for curlers in Scotland and perhaps leading to... Uh, international competition too.
1: A couple things going on here in the States. First, USA curling released a new logo uh, in it. To me, it just looks beautiful. USA curling needed a new logo and I love the thing. Um, You know, it's got the the stars and stripes that they have in the logo are supposed to have uh, meanings for them, um, which the number of stripes represent the number of member associations and the four, Stars on the logo, uh, according to them, represent the four curlers that are on a traditional curling team. But you know, for me, that it kind of also represents men's, women's, mixed curling, and wheelchair, which are the four you know the the four events that you can attempt to medal at uh, in the Olympics. I think you can easily uh, put that and have those stars mean that as well. Uh, The gold circle around the logo, I thought was. An amazing touch and i'm a huge fan of that uh anything that kind of thumbs our nose at uh at the other countries that did not win in 2018 i think is a good thing uh the one thing i did note uh in the official release that uh usa curling put out you can tell that they hired a soccer guy as their new ceo because they called it a badge throughout the entire press release <laughs>
0: No, I think it's a good, I thought the design was really good. Um, if you're on social media, rich ruin and put out a little promo video. I'm not sure if you saw that.
1: Oh no, I didn't see that
0: with Colin Hoffman. It it was cute. It was kind of like obviously just made by them, but it was, it was a bit of a, like a a good promo. Um, so go, go search for that on your social media platforms. And, uh, the look is good. Um, I like the tying it into the different member associations. Um, I've, it's clear they hired a like a proper branding company for this mm-hmm. that that put a lot of thought into a to hitting a lot of different notes so thinking about the different disciplines, really making it clear that the USCA is something composed out of a set of member associations and then they had some imagery on social media with like different. Um the different regions, if you will, and kind mm-hmm. of an iconography and did you notice what the uh, mid america curling association was?
1: Well one, I just noticed that they just referred to it as the middle,
0: the middle, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: and then yeah, they used the Alamo as the as the imagery for that, which really is probably the most recognizable landmark among the states that are in 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 Mecca
0: that is probably true, yeah, the Alamo' is a pretty good symbol, although not. Not a winning symbol, but oh, jeez! <laughs> I'm gonna add <end> that out.
1: <laughs> no, I'm leaving that in. I'm letting you. I'm letting you deep fat fry in in that comment. Um, they won eventually.
0: Eventually, I guess. Yeah.
1: It's just right. like. It's just like the 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 battle that they won was in a field. There really isn't anything that they could <laughs> that, yeah. they, that they could use as the icon <laughs> of the winning battle. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Uh, uh, they could have also used like the, the St. Louis Arch. That's really the Alamo and the Arch are probably the two most recognizable landmarks um, among the Maca states.
0: They could have a buffalo. Maca is basically the Manitoba of. The USA Curling Association, let's be honest. It's the Plains.
1: The other little bit of news that happened here in the States was, speaking of uh, USA Curling CEO Jeff Plush, uh, he was on the Sports man- Sports Management Hubs, um, little video series that they've been doing with people in sports marketing and in front offices, um, not a lot to report off of that to the two, but the two things that I thought were interesting that he said was one, he said that he feels that USA curling is a little understaffed. So maybe once things return to normal, maybe look for, um, look for some job postings from USA curling but he said that USA curling being a little bit understaffed right now uh they were they were kind of fortunate to be understaffed during COVID-19 because because they're so small they haven't been affected as much is what he said during that during that recording um the other interesting thing was he did say that he feels USA curling can get a broader Better TV partner, yeah, I mean, and he did not use the word better. I'm using the word better, uh, but it sounds like he kinda is looking for something a little bit uh, a little bit with a little bit further reach than NBC sports Network is what it sounded like to me.
0: yeah, and that'd be good, I think. Um, especially if they can get some more events on some more u s focused events um, coming out of u s. soccer, right? I think maybe, there's time for some kind of TV based us Bonfield circuit if you will that would be kind of a good thing to see
1: yeah that's definitely the the pie in the sky idea I think is getting you know getting a series of events that that can reach a broader audience than curling night in america curling night in america i think is great for what it is i think it gets the job done for what it's trying to do but it doesn't it's more for people who are on on the border about whether or not they should follow curling to me it doesn't to me there should be more of a lead up to the Olympics, and I think there's room for a U.S. based event that helps people lead up to the Olympics. And honestly, I'm kind of surprised that NBC Sports hasn't had the foresight to do that because you would think that they would want there to be lead up to watching curling in the Olympics, which they have the broadcast rights to.
0: Yeah, I think I don't, I'm not sure if he means he's going to leave NBC Sports Network. The only thing bigger, I presume, would be the Disney sports conglomeration with ESPN, but, and I can't see them leaving the Olympic contract, but it would be good to see more curling, whatever, whatever form or, or, uh, media outlet it takes.
1: I mean, ESPN three is willing to, I mean, they're willing to make the briar available on ESPN three. And that is, um, you know, that's free with any, um, with any internet or cable subscription that you have. Like I don't have cable, but I can see events on ESPN three because I have Comcast as cable. And with Comcast cable, I get access to that. The, uh, the, the paid option is this ESPN plus, which is about $6 a month. Now I also get that. And I do that because I like watching small college football. Um, but that the the Briar and the Scotties are not on ESPN+. Plus. They're on ESPN3, which is more widely available than, than Plus because it's not a subscription service.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. I suspect streaming is going to be the future in sports anyway like it is with everything else. So um, perhaps there's space there for USA Curling to set up its own streaming channel or partner with one of the new big ones that's coming down the pipe.
1: Yeah, and these days you don't need it, it as long as you – play it right you don't really need that that big cable um big cable partner anymore um the only the only time that it it comes back to bite you is like with the pac 12 network where you basically have caused every cable and satellite provider to hate you
0: (laughs) yeah well, I think I don't know if they'd have their own channel in the sense of a conventional cable TV channel, right? That no, but at least your own streaming, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think the other big decision is: do you want to make it paid or do you want to make it open? Right. That I don't, I'm not sure if curling. There's certainly a curling community, and like you and I are definitely in that community. Who who would pay for a curling watch pass? Right. And but I don't know if curling's big enough yet to go to that model because one of the big complaints in England about cricket is that once cricket went to all paid TV um, like attendance and support for cricket went down. Right. So there's a significant concern about like a decline in the support for the game there, that if you put yourself entirely behind a paywall and one of your objectives as a sport is to, you know, get new fans, you might want to leave the streaming open so it's easy for people to discover online.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we have twenty-six about 26,000 curlers in the U.S. What percentage of them are able to stream events online and what percentage of them would be willing to pay a monthly fee? And what Yeah, what percentage of those would be willing to pay a monthly fee for USA Curling? And at that point, you're getting to such a small percentage that it's not worth it, that it's worth it to have it as a loss leader that gets eyeballs.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yep
1: um speaking of that this you know our entire episode here is kind of about web streaming and ways that uh ways that we're starting to connect with with teams with the way teams are connecting with their fans via streaming, and uh, the two interviews that we have coming up are more about webinars, but there were some, there was some news this week, and this will lead us into our Kitchener-Waterloo uh, discussion. Um, both Team Cooey and Team Jennifer Jones announced that they were going to be web- webcasting all of their games on Facebook, that it was going to be fairly high-quality commentary. Team Cooey said they were going to be miked. Um, so that that was starting, the, Team Jennifer Jones started... Uh, their webcasting this week at the Kitchener Waterloo event. And apparently a bunch of other teams tried to do it too and it kind of killed the killed the Wi-Fi there, apparently. So that's a that's that's an interesting it's an interesting problem that Curling's probably about to have is who owns the media rights to the smaller events that aren't on TV and how do you handle 16 teams at a time trying to trying to stream an event.
0: <laughs> I, I suspect, so my hunch, i have put a bit of thought into this uh, since we talked about it, is um, I think the primary reason the teams are doing that is for the sponsorship, right? So oh, Joe yeah, Tui, Jacobs, like they, they get paid more by sponsorship than winnings these days. No TV, no eyeballs for their sponsors. So they're doing this to kind of give something to their sponsors. I suspect that none of those teams would care about live streaming. In fact, it would probably make them more likely to go to an event if it had high-quality web streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the, and then that may be a place for the the events, too, to get a bit more revenue to support the event, right? Especially if they can sell some advertising in between the ends. Um, so I think they they probably wouldn't care that much about it. But I think that definitely and we've been seeing this more and more over the years, but definitely one path for say these kind of the feeder speed, the feeder tours, if you will, to generate revenue is to put together a a decent um, web streaming package for their events.
1: Yeah. So all of these, uh, all the, all these curling clubs that host events like these, uh, you know, make a phone call to Joe Calabrese over at 12th in sports network. And uh, he can, he can let you know how to set it up. It does look like, Based off of what Curling Zone has been doing the last few weeks with their streaming, I would not be surprised if Jerry Gertz is way ahead of you on that, Jonathan, and that he might be looking at doing exactly this.
0: I wouldn't be surprised at all if Jerry was way ahead of me on that. As with many other things in curling,
1: yeah, and this is just you know this is just the next step. Teams web streaming their own games off of more than just you know an iPhone on. Um, you know, set up vertically to watch their, get to watch their games. Um, you know, this is the next step beyond just stuff like, you know, hiring Jerry and hiring price Atkinson to, to run your social media and up your social media game. Now you're looking at, at web streaming and getting your games more available rather than just maybe a highlight here or there. So I, you know, any curling team out there, Jonathan and I are available for a price to, uh, to, to commentate on your games.
0: <laughs> A very low price, this whatever. Is true. So Chelsea Carey and Colin Hodgson. Um,
1: oh, they killed were, it! Yeah,
0: they were on it this weekend. So we'll charge less than them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you got to cut costs, and who doesn't? Yep, <laughs> nope.
1: and uh, that event this weekend in Kitchener and Waterloo did not complete. Um, Today, it came out that one of the curlers that was involved in the event got a ding on their COVID app that said that they had been in close contact with someone that had tested positive. Uh, Jonathan, you're in Canada. Can you tell everyone about just what this app does?
0: Uh, so, much. I think this. So, in Canada, it's province by province. So, I, this one's in Ontario. Oh, okay. Um, but I assume it basically works the same way. They're actually bringing a similar one out in England. So it's um, basically it it uh, uses the Bluetooth in your phone. It goes around. It pings up with every other phone you're around. And then if somebody reports in having COVID symptoms, um, it goes back and checks everyone else you've been in contact with and then alerts you that you've been exposed to um, the coronavirus. And so then tells you to go self-isolate. So that's one version of it. There's also a bit more of a manual contact tracing thing. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure how it works in Ontario, but the other, the other path is if um, just like the contract tracers in the public health body in whatever region you're in, basically, if someone gets exposed and reports, they have to go back and report everyone that they've been in contact with for more than 15 minutes over the last seven days and then the app then alerts all those people. So that's one it could work one of those two ways, but basically tells you you've been exposed. I don't think it tells you who you've been exposed to, but it basically no. tells you you need to go self-isolate. Um, yeah, if you got, or at if, least
1: or at least get go go get tested. The one I have here in Virginia is basically, you know, it it pings you and then it gives you the option to set up a test and then You basically you self isolate until you get your test results back, which sometimes is a couple days and sometimes is ten days.
0: I think it's going to vary, and not to but let's just put it this way: in the UK, for sure, if you've been exposed, you have to actually isolate for the full fourteen days. Mm. It's going to vary from sector to sector, so people shouldn't be listening to us for health advice. But check with your local authorities; it's going to vary significantly.
1: Yeah, fortunately, I have never gotten any. I I have not been pinged uh, by the app. It does tell me every uh, once a week on Sunday I get the notification that I haven't been in contact with anyone. But then again, I'm also not leaving my house much.
0: Yeah, so I I think that's actually. I mean, the bigger question here is: first of all, just before we recorded this, I listened to the two girls in a game. They dropped Mm -hmm. an episode about this, like a a quick thirty minute hitter.
1: And Lori was there, right?
0: Yeah, Laurie Eddy was there, so she'll probably she go listen to them for the kind of on the scene report. I think the bigger issue is what does this say for curling this season? And I take it as a bad sign, right? This is basically curling's version of Rudy Gobert game, right? Yes. <laughs> and for people who don't follow basketball, Rudy Gobert was the guy who tested positive uh, in the NBA that shut the NBA down. That, that was basically the event where I think the U S kind of had its full lockdown, um, moment, if you will.
1: Correct. The next day I was scheduled to go into work and we, I wound up not going into work and I have not been, I was, I wasn't in the office until like a couple of weeks ago and I went in yeah. one day.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been to my office once since March. Um, and that was not to do work, that was to get stuff out of the office under pretty strict conditions, so
1: but yeah, but it shows you like how serious this is, and how quickly you can potentially spread it if you're not if you're not taking precautions you know this person you know if if you get dinged and you you know you get the alert on this app that you've been in close contact with somebody and you have you've been going around not wearing a mask, it means that you have put everyone you've been within six feet of, or really within like 10 feet, honestly, if you're not wearing a mask, you're putting them in danger. So like it, it, you never, you have to, you have to treat it like everyone around you has it. And that's basically what I've been doing is I have, I have been like in my head, I've been saying every single one of these people has it is is basically what I've been doing for the last however many months.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's I mean I've basically gone to a restaurant twice um since March. I sat out at a restaurant twice. um I went to a bar once, but it was open air. they kind of create a little open air uh they blocked off a street in Southampton and create like an open air bar, so I met with some friends I hadn't seen since the start of lockdown out there, socially distanced and all that open air but i don't I don't know like I think curling just how it functions is a high risk activity no matter how we, we look at it. So I don't think, I don't know what this, what this, this doesn't bode well, let's put it that way. That, I mean, if you look back and listen to the game of stones podcast, they had curling geek on one of the points curling geek made. And it's interesting. This is at his home club is all it's going to take is one or two super spreader events, right. Where somebody has it at a curling event, a bunch of people get sick. The bad press for that is just going to shut everything down, mm-hmm. right? And this this story is up on my feed with like every single, so it's on TSN, it's on CBC front page, so it's it's a it's a big. It's not just a curling news story; it's a big news story in Canada at the moment.
1: Well, we we saw that back in February and March with events um, events in Edmonton and events in what in uh, just outside of Washington D.C. where that happened, and hopefully this person that found out they were in close proximity doesn't, is not COVID positive and hopefully it mm-hmm. has not been passed to anybody at this event. And cause that, that's, I mean that, God, that it, it would be a nightmare and you, you just hope that that, that you, you hope for the best case scenario, but it just yeah. shows you that unless you're bubbling, like sports are so hard, unless you're doing the bubble,
0: yeah, I think sports are well. Indoor sports are hard. I think outdoor stuff, like outdoor solo stuff, is still fine, right? Like running and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah, um, that's what,
1: that's. I don't, I don't consider like me. Like when I jog, that is not a sport. Yeah, <laughs> but, so not. it's just
0: like yeah. But I mean, I think the only way it's possible, like the NBA has been able to do it with a with an actual bubble where it's been basically everyone locked mm-hmm. up like Fort Knox. We saw the NHL do it.
1: And the NHL was very successful. The NHL had what zero zero positives the whole time.
0: Yeah, zero positives. The it looks it looks at like the NFL's a little shaky at the moment. Baseball still going, but it's had a few hiccups too. Um, football. But those in are those are those are two right.
1: sports that aren't bubbling.
0: They aren't bubbling right, no. and they've had a few incidents in in Scotland with uh, some of the soccer or football there. So. Um, I I just don't, curling doesn't have the financial resources to Mm -hmm. uh, create a bubble, right? And uh, I just don't know. I I guess I I was more hopeful for, you've you've always been, it's not happening, right? That's been our conversation since March, I'd say. Yes, yes. And I've been, oh, you could do this and this and that. And we actually have to have an English Curling Association meeting tomorrow night. Uh, where we've got to make some decisions about some of our championships um, and w- w- I think for, for us, it looks like we're just gonna handle our rolling basis. so we've got two in the two before Christmas we have to make a decision about tomorrow night, and then we'll deal with the ones after christmas a bit later later in the season. but uh, yeah, it's just um I, th- I on a a I think this it's clear the second wave is now happening. And that sucks. And it probably means most players are going to have to go back into some kind of more restrictive lockdown. And B, it just looks like, despite doing everything, it looked to me like KW put in a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Despite doing everything, I did. Yeah. they I still couldn't that. get through a full weekend. And that's that doesn't bode well. I don't think we're done done, but I think it's like if one more event runs and doesn't work, that probably kills the the curling tour, the cash, the cash level for this season.
1: Yeah, and it was no fault of of KW's um, that this happened. I assume you. All right, so you listened to two girls, and you read the article from Devin. Harrah was that? I assume that their their contact with a positive was you know a while back, and they had no idea.
0: Yeah, I think Lori said it was a week ago. It's not clear who it was. Um, it was someone in the playoff round. It's basically what I leaned from Devin's um, Devon's uh, article. So, um, but th- I think they're obviously for obvious reasons are kind of keeping it confidential. It's not. It's also not clear how oh, close yeah. that person was. Right. It could be just a short contact at a restaurant. It could be mm-hmm. someone in your immediate family. Right. So it's not clear what the exposure risk is. And then is that person? I mean, I guess the no one there reported being symptomatic. So the question is that person still could be an ins- asymptomatic spreader. Right. Which is not. Uh, which is, you know, risky too. Yeah.
1: So good thoughts to everyone who was in Kitchener Waterloo for this event. And uh, do you wanna do you wanna talk about something less depressing?
0: Well, I mean positive. I think so we're gonna talk we wanna talk about webinars. And so even if the competitive curling seasons killed, both are both of our guests today have been working throughout the pandemic to figure out how to keep curling working virtually. And so they've both developed these webinar models for fitness, for curling education. So even if you're not able to curl this year, these are some resources perhaps to look at to improve mm-hmm. your game so that, I mean, let's not be super glum. Eventually this will end. Eventually the pandemic will end and eventually curling will come back. We're not sure when, but it's probably not going to be as soon as we hope, but Um, it's good to kind of look for ways to stay in touch with the game and it's good to look for ways to improve your game. And so I think both our guests today, um, look at that in different ways.
1: Yeah, they both have definitely been turning this time into a positive and it's, it's something that I, that I struggle to do. So, so good for them, um, about once a day I have to listen to Dolly Parton's I can see the light of a clear blue morning, uh, in order (laughs) to keep myself from going insane. But, um, these folks are facing all of this adversity and taking it on. Um, so the first guest that we have is Allison Wiedenbeck and she is with the Curler Outreach Program and they're doing a series of webinars here in the States that really, um, are are useful for anybody, not just competitive curlers, not just elite curlers, um, but anyone from the person who curls once a week on terrible U.S. arena hockey ice to the elite competitive curler can benefit from what they're doing. And the same with uh, our second guest, Stephanie Thompson, who was with us back on episode fifty, um, which feels like it was three years ago. As we'll talk to Stephanie about. Um, but she's, you know, she is, you know, she's a fitness professional and because she's a competitive curler, she can create programs focused on how to improve your fitness, um, as a curler. Uh, and she will talk about that and talk about the webinars that she's doing. So thank you to these two guests for bringing, bringing some joy, uh, in, uh, in what has been a, um, you know, some, some bad news this week. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll listen to them and, uh, they'll bring us some positivity.
0: So just to kind of dial back. So we started with this, but you said that actually you've been doing this since 2017. So what, what was the original version? What's like version 1.0 of curling outreach?
2: Yeah. Well, and that's funny. Cause that's like exactly what we called it. Like phase one, basically. So phase, phase one of curler outreach, um, in 2017, was just based in the local level at the Eau Claire curling club in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Um, and it was meant to bring in specifically kids, essentially non curling kids to our junior program. Um, cause we saw a gap in that. Um, and basically what we did, we had formed this whole plan, um, Uh, based off of really a a project that Jenna had to do for school. So this started as a grade um, and it turned into, you know, an almost business. Um, But the, the project format would kind of require Jenna to do some project management and then coordinate an event. Um, So that's the format that we used it. We used, Um, we brought Corey Dropkin in um, and he was kind of this, this curler, this upcoming young, successful curler that we put up on a pedestal. Um, And we had him create a presentation. We worked with him to create basically an attractive presentation about himself and his curling journey and what, you know, what curling has done for him and make it, you know, seem really relevant to kids. Uh, We booked him presentations in schools in the middle of school days. So we went into a bunch of schools in the Eau Claire area. Um and then the big call to action was after this week of Corey wandering around Eau Claire schools, um, there was gonna be a giant Eau Claire uh like student family fun curling day, essentially, that provided a learn to curl for everybody. Um, and that's what got all the kids really excited and motivated to come to the club after these presentations was like come hang out with Corey bring your parents, you can try this new fun sport. Um, And then, you know, we had people planted all around the club uh, during that event to, uh, to make sure that they were getting emails of parents for kids who were interested in in coming back next week for the junior program. Um, And we, I mean, we ran that twice. So we did it once in December of 2017. And then we did it again the next I believe it was December of 2018 um, and the club funded everything for us. Corey was willing to come back again. We didn't scare him off too much, I guess. Um, the kids didn't scare him off. Um, and yeah, it was, it was very successful just on the local level. So that's, that's really the superhero origin story.
1: But So that gave you the foundation for knowing that, you know, you could put together events like this, and then did just the transformation happened, I guess this year with everything having to go digital?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, really the big inspiration for, you know, the, the like the vision change, I guess you could call it. wasn't so much on like me and Jenna's end as like project coordinators. Um, Jenna joined team Seneca this year and it was really a, a team Seneca conversation. It started on their end and they were like, you know, we're, we're going to try doing kind of like team based growth and development stuff by asking speakers to come to our team meetings via Zoom, you know, all COVID safe so that we can at least get some sort of information and, and improve our game off the ice. Right. Um, and then they had an idea off of that that was like, hey, let's see if we can open this to the public and provide it for other curlers. And that's when Jenna step, stepped up. And was like, well listen, me and a buddy have this platform already established that we could use.
1: Oh, so what were the what were the first ones that you guys were able to put together?
2: Um the first, first real topic-based one was run by Team Seneca. So Team Seneca basically took the reins and presented as speakers. Um and they did like a basically like COVID precautions when you're traveling for curling and it was their team plan that they put out there for everybody. Um, and then we did a couple of, I'm not going to remember that was like months ago, but we did a couple of more technical kind of statistics based stuff. We did some more technique and fitness, um, and we're using a lot of Team Seneca resources, which is so awesome that they're, they're able to do that and that they have access to that and that folks are willing to participate in that way. Um, but like that we're using, you know, their personal trainers and stuff like that to hop on these calls and basically break down what they're doing with Team Seneca. Um, and it's for everyone. So that, that was really our first month was a lot of like inside Team Seneca resources. Um, yeah. It was great. Good start.
0: On top of the Team Seneca resources, what other talks and um, content do you have planned out for the next few months?
2: <laughs> well, some of that's going to be top secret. But <laughs> on October 11th, we got uh, Sean Olson and Quentin Way, the ice makers for USCA. They're going to do a chat about um, like the most critical equipment for ice making and keeping budget in mind for a club. Um, And then we're going to do something more based in fitness and, and athleticism and kind of that kind of, that kind of realm um, with Stephanie Thompson, who is another resource through team Seneca. She works with them. Um, So quite a, quite a span of, of topics there. Uh, The possibilities are literally endless is what we've, we've realized the past few months.
0: And so are you, so is the market here for kind of, competitive curlers club curlers curling clubs who do you see as the people who are going to be most interested in the webinar series you
2: know that's funny because at first i think the intention was teams like team seneker um and we started launching these demographic polls every webinar and according to those really who were were religiously um uh aiming our, our content towards tends to be these adult curlers that started while they were adults. So they have no junior experience. Um, they mostly play in local leagues at the club level. Um, they do some traveling out to social bonspiels, but they're just folks that are like hungry for more information. And that's, you know, that, that's a huge gap in, in who we're providing our content to are, are the people who started curling Locally and while while they're adults, right? I think that makes sense. They just want, you know, they want the opportunity to like have that clinical based information.
1: What's the feedback been from them?
2: Like, just so overwhelming. Um, <laughs> it's been it's been really really neat. I think the feedback from everybody has been really really cool. Um, but them especially, you know, we'll get emails or just you know comments in the chat at the end of the webinars with everybody just like profusely thanking you know, the speakers and and Curler Outreach. Um, I think a lot of them, in reality, a lot of the information that we're presenting won't really be applicable unless they're back on the ice, which that's like a whole nother problem. But I think for the time being, everybody seems to be entertained and appreciative and satisfied with where they're at now.
1: Yeah, I got to sit in on the one with, uh, Dave Ellis on making curling ice. And even for, for me, someone who curls once a week on arena ice, where we've got maybe 20 minutes to get everything together, uh, before we need to throw rocks. Uh, even I was able to take away with, uh, with some good tips to, to take with me for when, whenever it is that we do get to get back on the ice.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that is the problem. So I mean, not to like flip this and make this an interview for you guys, but I'm just wondering, Ryan, since you were there, what are your thoughts? Was that the first webinar that you've attended of ours?
1: Yeah, that was the first one that that I'd attended. And I was hoping, you know, I was hoping to get things that I could take with me for, you know, we're often pretty rushed with with having to, to make ice and just some things to like keep in my head as we're trying to do that to improve improve our ice as much as possible. Um, obviously, you know we don't have we don't have the ability to to level it like like they do, but just you know little tips and tricks that can improve it to I don't know just a, a level that makes it better than it is right now because that's really all the, all that we all that we can hope for with what we have.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, would you say that you got that from this webinar? Was it was it everything you were expecting and more?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, as as an American, you hear preparing arena ice, and in America, that's more of the club, like like yeah. I'm in. Whereas, but Dave coming from Canada for them arena ice is building, you know, championship level ice. So maybe maybe I thought there would be a little bit more for 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 us, but uh still a lot of great info from Dave and stuff that that could apply to what we're doing, you know, things like you know, you don't have to sp- spend a ton of money or or get the um or you know, get the get the the jet ice additives in order to improve your improve your ice quality, um, things like, you know, yeah, 99% of clubs, you're going to want to pebble with with hot water, but he has the experience of being at that 1% of clubs where having cold water helped their pebble. Um, so, you know, being willing to try different things like that when, when you're in uh, not a traditional curling environment, just stuff to keep in mind like that.
2: Yeah, sure. That's and that's so funny because that was kind of like a recent realization of ours once we did our first um, ice making based webinar. You guys are so hungry for information. And it was just it was overwhelming, the response that we got. We had like 50 ice makers on the call from all over the US and Canada Mm -hmm. that first time we did one. Uh, we we just could not believe it. So I don't know. I'm hoping that maybe this next one with uh, Sean and Quentin can be a, uh, can be a little bit more technical for you, Ryan, then.
1: Yeah. Cause that's the other thing is like knowing what equipment to buy, even when you're on a shoestring budget, like that is right up our alley for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm hoping that there's more club-based information to then for
1: you folks, but that's cool.
2: So you, you are an ice maker, Ryan?
1: No, I'm not. I'm just. I'm. I'm strictly volunteer, and it's really if you're if you're there on time, if you get there early enough, you're called into into action to help get things as ready as possible from the time that the zamboni gets off the ice to when we can start throwing. So, you know, I'll do a lot of pebbling. Um, I'll uh, you know I'll, mostly I'm carrying rocks from our our, uh, our cold storage to onto the ice, but uh, pebbling, putting in hacks, that kind of thing is what I'm doing. I'm definitely not an ice maker. I don't think you can be an ice maker when you're at an arena club in the U.S.
3: Well, yeah,
2: I don't know, but you know, that is kind of part of the hope of doing some of this, you know, during, during the COVID time type in education is that, you know, maybe when curling does start back up more folks, are willing to step up and volunteer like you or volunteers like you are willing to take it to the next level that kind of pushes pushes this next evolution for, for ice making, you know, like maybe, maybe you'll get paid
1: someday to do that, Ryan. Uh, probably not in Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> <I'm not. laughs>
2: okay. Well, we can dream. I don't know.
1: The only, uh, the only way we're getting dedicated ice is if I win Powerball. And if that happens, they don't need to pay me to make ice. Okay.
2: Oh, sure. <laughs> the generous retiree.
1: Thank That's you. right. Yeah.
2: Thank you.
1: So t- tell us about your background. How did you, how did you get into curling?
2: Well, um, I started kind of later in that, that junior age. Um, I was like 13 or something. I I had a a high school or not high school, a middle school teacher um, who takes her class on um, a field trip to the local curling club every year. Um, And that's really where it started. Um, There was so much interest from our class that she created a little mini league um, right after school. We just drove right over to the club. Um, And I did that for, for years until I aged out. And then I I joined the club junior program, um, and that was in in Racine, Wisconsin. I I started at the Racine Club, which is just a tiny little two-sheeter, but with spirit. Um, And uh, really from that point, I I never really did any um, competition, I guess you could say. I liked liked those local leagues a lot. I liked the environment. It was very supportive for me. Um, And then it was really once I moved away from Racine and got into Eau Claire. You know, I went from two sheets to this four sheet club um, and all of these, you know, college resources um, that I, I started getting into more of like this administration based side and really, really enjoying like the connections I was making with people while I was curling more. Um, just kind of seeing where where that could take me in my young adult life. But, yeah, it's, it's not competitive at all in, in my background.
1: I mean, would you call yourself like a competitive club curler? Like, you know you're you're gonna enter local playdowns, that kind of thing? Maybe go no. for oh God, go, no. go for the mixed playdown, that kind of thing. No, 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 no,
2: no, absolutely not. no. I don't know if I have time for that. Um, <laughs> also, I think like especially in the past few years, um I herniated a disc, so um, my like entire activity level is is a little bit limited. Um, and has been since I did that, but the past few years I've done mostly, um, on ice instruction. I've probably put in more hours coaching than I have actually playing, which is okay. That's totally fine. I I love, I love kids. So that, that brings me something at the end of the day.
1: And so what do you think is, uh, the future of the, of the curler outreach program then?
2: Mm, Well, that's a, that's a really good question because we don't really know either. Um, We've talked about it. I think it makes sense for us to at some point pursue five oh one C three status. Um, we've kind of me me and Jenna when we originally designed this program, we kind of kept everything in mind from twenty seventeen that if this went well, we should we should make it into a nonprofit. Um, so we've we've played our cards pretty I, I would say we played our cards right. I don't really know anything about business, but I'm hoping once we, you know bring consultants on board that nobody says that we played our cards wrong. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I think that we've done everything pretty well. We've documented an awful lot. And, and, you know, we have a lot of, um, I guess you could say information banks of everything that we've done and people that we've, we've interacted with. Um, So I, I, ideally for me, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be 501 C3.
1: Okay. So some of the events you have coming up, you mentioned the one with Sean Oleson, um, mm-hmm. the Ice Tech Hour on October 11th. You mentioned Steph Thompson with uh, Curling Fitness on October 18th. Yep. Uh, some of the other ones I see that you have coming up, October 21st with Jerry Gertz, uh, Intro to Analytics. So you've got um, two friends of the podcast already right there with Steph and Jerry uh, coming in uh, to do webinars with you guys. And then Uh, junior uh, junior curling programs with Fran Walsh um, on October 25th. Let everyone know where they need to go to register for these, how much they are, and where they need to go to learn more about the program.
2: Yeah. So you could go to curleroutreach.org. And in the upper right-hand corner, there are going to be a bunch of tabs. Just go down to the you could go down to the event tab to check out the events, or you could just go to register here button. That's going to be the, the big one there. Um, typically they run about 15 bucks, but occasionally we do a free one if it's deemed that ethically we don't, we don't want to charge for, you know, the, the, the growth of, of the curling world. Occasionally we do those, um, But usually you can just find us on Facebook and that's, that's the best way to get in contact with us if you have questions about um, upcoming events and how you can get a hold of past recorded webinars and that kind of thing.
1: All right, Allison, thank you so much for joining us, and good luck with the Curler Outreach Program.
2: Thank you so much, you guys. This was awesome.
1: All right, we are joined by Stephanie Thompson and Stephanie. We last talked to you way back on episode fifty, which was kind of at the beginning of all the insanity happening and when we first started locking down and that seems like seems like it was about 3 years ago it was probably about <laughs> 6 months ago uh just uh catch everybody up how have the last 6 months been for you
3: I literally just said the exact same thing to someone else I said that every day feels like a year and every like, it, all of a sudden, it's like months later, I don't know, it's all it's all big blur. Uh, the past few months have been really good. Um, it was actually one of the best seasons off seasons I've had for myself as a business owner, I think a six, sixth off season that I've been working with teams. Um, and so everything's kind of coming together. And then B, everyone needed something to do. So they were either following and asking questions or joining me to have some sort of focus with their off season.
1: Yeah. And so just catch everyone up on your business and what you do. Obviously you do, you do a lot of personal training. Um, yeah, just let everyone know what, what, what exactly it is that you do outside of curling.
3: Yeah. So, uh, my business is empowered performance. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm there like eight hours a day. It's Little embarrassing, uh, but I work with competitive. I work with competitive-minded curlers, so both elite and recreational. Um, and I, I basically provide, uh, as you said, strength and conditioning programs to help them perform and train pain-free. But I'm also a kinesiologist, which means that I work a lot with the body um, and I come at it from more of like a rehab perspective. So one of the, a lot of the stuff that I do is preventative, but um, as the off season went on, I was shifting a little bit more to be like, OK, you are wanting to take this extra six months to rehab an injury. Let's figure out the knee. Let's figure out the low back. Let's figure out that shoulder uh, so that when you do finally get to go on the ice, you're ready and ready to go. So a little bit more of a, a specific um, efficiency and, and, and effectiveness um, in terms of focus for people's programs. So I kind of had like two ends of the spectrum rehab. And then performance. And then people came in on on either end of that spectrum.
1: So this was kind of like the craziest off season I think anyone could imagine. What were some what were some of the common issues people were having, not necessarily that they were having to rehabbing, but with just coming up with a, a plan for the off season overall, given all given how different this all was?
3: yeah the the number one thing if i ever like I ask people pretty much day, every other day like what are you struggling with what kind of things are we needing to work on um, so that I can uh, tailor my business accordingly and honestly the, the biggest thing was how much people's focus fluctuated right so everyone be like how do you maintain motivation how do you find motivation um, I started this program but I can't stick to it like the those are people the hardest part from what I saw anyways Um, in terms of like we don't know if the season's going to happen should I train anyways and be prepared for our season when it does happen Um, but definitely the like fluctuating focus would probably have been the, the the toughest thing people struggled with the past six months has been a lot on people's mental health right so Mm -hmm. we've got we we typically hit off season and a lot of people are it's three months away or two months until they get to hit ice again so that's not a lot of time and they just kind of use that time to the best of their advantage but if it's four months six months some people i'm working with are having to refocus again and look at you know january possibly not curling at all this year so in terms of like how to wrap your your head around what your year is going to look like and, and then consequently how to, to to focus your energy my my curling team isn't actually going to start competing uh until halfway through november so and we decided this uh, middle of august and we actually decided to take a break from hard training for a couple of months give ourselves a little breather um and then we're going to come back next month october so we have half all of october and all of november to kind of refocus again so uh people i feel like just they don't know how to go they're either go gung-ho all in or they do nothing (laughs) so being able to find that Mm -hmm. middle ground is super important right
0: so So stephanie i've got a question uh how so if you're a competitive curling team let's say you just have like a base like training thing let's let's, we're not saying going zero to a hundred but let's say your lockdown thing was Try to get a run in three times a week, but you don't—you can't hit the weights because the gyms are closed. All that. Mm-hmm. How far out from a competitive season would you say a team should start locking in to kind of ramp up to get back in curling shape?
3: So you're saying that they were kind of doing something, but nothing focused.
0: Nothing focused and also just, you know, I think, like, just speaking for myself, and I assume most people are in this boat, it's that that your lockdown situation means that, like, the normal resources may not be there because gyms Mm -hmm. are opening and closing, um, access to training spaces can be tricky, so you're doing something but not like your usual, usual training program.
3: Yeah, so when should they, I mean, my answer is always going to be start now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, like even if you don't start until January, small things that you do now will pay off. But in terms of like not having I mean, we're heading into winter and I know a lot of um, people in Ontario are saying, okay, well, I was running for cardio and I don't have any equipment at home. I was doing my workout. Like I do pull-ups on a tree. So they're like, what am I going to do when it snows? And it's mm-hmm. minus 30. Like, <laughs> So I think that's kind of what you're getting at. I mean, yeah. there's something to be said about b- how important body weight exercises are. Like essentially curling is, you, you don't have to be particularly strong to push that rock. Like it's 42 pounds, but I mean, I don't, I'm not a math whiz, but I'm sure that when you're pushing it, you're not actually pushing 42 because of the like change in friction. But when you're doing sweeping, like it's literally just your own body weight right Mm -hmm. so i'd be maximizing um i actually start i created a program called the kickstarter and it's six weeks long so for me it was like the minimum amount of time you would probably want to have if you wanted to see some changes in your body um Mm -hmm. versus i remember growing up i would train with my curling team and my brother would literally get into the curling position like the sunday before we started on a monday Uh (laughs) so it was like two ways of kind of thinking it like you're either doing I mean, being healthy and having a, a, uh, an efficient moving body is, is really beneficial. Walking is still a very powerful way to improve your cardiovascular health. Like you're, you're, you're getting the blood flowing. You're doing long endurance activity. It's not the same as curling, but at least there's transferable skills there. So, yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your question. I think I think body weight stuff, I wouldn't shy away from that. Um, And I would start, I would try to keep something, like, try to keep your body in some some semblance of physical activity, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily exercise, but physical activity. Like, if you do go to the grocery store, like, park a little further away, so you have to walk further, right? If you do go outside for a walk, like, make it brisk, not like a lazy mall stroll, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right?
1: Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, there's this gap between, you know, what's suggested for us by a personal trainer or a doctor or, you know, whatever professional that that we're seeing and what actually appears in our everyday lives. What are some of the creative things that you've seen some of your clients come up with that you've that you've come up with together to try and kind of kind of bridge that gap and, and get those things to appear in, in, in what's actually going on day to day?
3: You mean like creative ways to like work out at home or be more physically active?
1: Or even to, co- or even to overcome, like you said, that mental gap. Because it's like, you know, if you can overcome that mental gap when all of this is going on, you can pretty much yeah. do it any time. So whether it's, you know, wh- whether it's overcoming things not being available or overcoming those mental obstacles, what are some of the creative ways that you've seen people try to overcome that?
3: Uh, in terms of, I don't know about creative, but one of the things that really helped the the athletes I worked with this summer was focusing each week. Each week, so picking a day that like they would do a little reflection and find three wins from that week. Three things they're proud of, three things that were hard that they did anyways, like big or small. They didn't have to be huge, and then they use those three things as momentum. So I think as curlers, especially the, the more competitive minded curler we think I'm going to be, I'm going to train. So it has, my expectation is it has to be at the gym. My expectation is it has to be hard, an hour, crazy workout. But the reality is if you only have your body weight and like a set of stairs or a trail by your house, like you have to use what's what's there. Um, So a lot of people, we use the little wins to kind of spark some interest. And a lot of people, because they can't do everything what we, I focus on is like, okay, what's one thing you can do this week, whether it's parking further away from work, if you are going to work or taking a five minute walk or yeah, there's, there, I had some people create some interesting, I had one guy who was particularly strong, but had no weights at home. So it was very demoralizing for him because he was like, well, like everything's so easy. I'm not sweating. And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. He actually bought bags of kitty litter braid them put together and then did exercises with those i was like
2: oh,
0: wow.
3: don't want that to break
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> definitely not but but the motivation thing um i mean we get caught up in the idea that we want it to happen we want human beings want the thing that's in front of them right now right they want the instant gratification so when we can focus on little wins at least we can train ourselves to be happy with the process and eventually in our case We'll get back to curling. We'll get back to the gym. Right. Um, like I haven't, I don't have a, my max weight that I have at home is 40 pounds. Like I didn't go to the gym. I I don't have anything. Um, and I'm my, the world will not end if I don't go to the gym in the next year, it's going to be okay.
1: What's your, uh, what's your home club and what has returned to play looked like for them?
3: Uh, my home club right now is Unionville curling club in Markham. Um, which is just north of Toronto. And we are set to start just after Canadian Thanksgiving. So what is that, October 20th or something? Um, So yeah, we're set to start. They've started putting the ice in. Uh, We have a, masks are mandatory except for when sweeping or throwing. And then they've got your basic like like, we're allowed to play with four, but I think we can only play with one sweeper. I, I only play doubles, so to be honest, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't actually look at what it would mean for people in, like, the, the league play. But my, we are allowed to play in more than one league, um, and I'm hoping to spare. So, I eventually, I'll take a peek at that document. Um, it was interesting that I have heard of some clubs in Ontario where the, the Curling Canada guidelines said, you can open. Right? like you can open you can have multiple leagues it's gonna be great and then some clubs their regional health said nope can't have more than one league. so then they had their own internal struggles and i've i've seen lots of and i'm sure you guys are, have as well mm-hmm. um seen lots of clubs getting super creative with having mm. to put their leagues together so that'll be interesting competitively i'm actually very surprised we've we've had a, a, even one tournament run they had one run last weekend for doubles and kw we haven't been yet i we not want to be the first team. Like I want to be the guinea pig team. We <laughs> <laughs> didn't want to be the first ones out there.
1: And I know, you know, as things are are starting to open up and uh and events are starting to run, you're also ramping up uh what you're doing um uh, with Empowered Performance. And I know you've got a few uh webinars coming up. Can you tell us about those?
3: Yes, uh, so I've got two webinars that are going to happen in October. Um, one in a nutshell, so people are like, I'm done listening. One is on managing your energy and training in season. So, when we talked last in March, I did the ultimate off season training webinar. This is the ultimate in season, it's like the sister webinar. Um, and then one is going to be talking a little bit different about the demands of the sport from from a different perspective, from the perspective of like the body and how it needs to move. So not necessarily like your cardio, your strength, Mm -hmm. your flexibility, but like the different positions that you need to be able to be in to be not only effective, but an efficient sweeper or thrower.
1: How quick were you able to adapt to having to do everything virtually and doing webinars instead of having everyone, you know, in, um, in, in a gym setting? Mm -hmm.
3: Uh, well it was, I, I think I joked the last time I was on that I was like the hipster of, of <laughs> virtual training for for curlers because curlers in Ontario, I mean, I've been training curlers for six years and I've always been virtual because no, no team lives in the same town mm-hmm. and no team mm-hmm. lives in the same town as me except for my own team. So, <laughs> so when I wanted to bring people together, it was it was kind of a natural, okay, I used to try to get people in for an assessment walk through some things um and it served as like a kind of like a team weekend but i mean then it took up my weekends in the summer so um i started just doing straight virtual where this year when march hit i was like oh like instead of being part-time online and then part-time in person in a clinic i just shifted fully online focused on curlers so Mm. it's interesting now because this is the time i would typically shift back to in-person stuff um, and maybe be like a quarter online, managing just a couple of, of teams and athletes. But now I'm like staying online, A, because numbers in Ontario are going up. <laughs> so I don't think should mm-hmm. be opening. Um, and B, I think that there's still lots of things. Like my, my, my reach is so much wider than that 15-minute drive from the clinic to someone's house, right? Like my radius of who I can work with who have issues with their body is so much wider online. Especially because I want to work with curlers, right? Like <laughs> I work with non curlers, and I always joke, I'm like, I'm turning you into a curler, like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, how can everyone sign up for more information on the webinars? How much, how much are they, and uh, you know, where where do they need to go to to participate?
3: Okay, to be honest, I don't have a price for either webinar. I apologize. Okay. Um, webinar one will be the uh October so it will be October 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard um, and it's hosted by the Curler Outreach which is a I think it's a group of oh, curlers, good. I think yeah it's the it's a group of curlers out in the States um, mm-hmm. Team Seneca, I think Team Seneca is yep. head, uh, heading it so they've had a few um, t- uh, guest speakers coming in um, and I'm hopping in there to talk more about matching the demands of the sport to the athlete's body um, so that'll be October 18th at 7 I uh, think it's Sunday, and then the second one, I'm just building a wait list, and I had actually originally promised to t- have the wait list have some say in when it was going to be, but I just, when you told me to hop on here, I was like, well, I'm <laughs> <gonna be."> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, October 28th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard. Now, this one, um, I will be recording, so because the last one that I ran, I had some people out of um, province and out of out of country who were like, "That's midnight for me," and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah." So the recorder will be recording will be provided, and similar to the all, ultimate off season webinar, I will be providing a few take home pieces. So take home including. Um, uh, da, 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 da. So rules that I use for myself, my team and my athletes for effective off- ice training during the season. So how like how to train, when to train, what to train, how to calendar templates so that they can plan ahead in terms of big tournaments, practices, league games travel, slap so their off- ice training inappropriately, um, and then of course prioritizing the recovery. And then finally a list of exercises and movements that I deem are most important. For maintaining fitness and body health through a long season. So kind of providing those pieces as a take home. And the, I'm 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 focusing this webinar as if there's no COVID. So like
0: so, <laughs> so it'll, be, it'll
3: be reusable in future years. Like I won't have to run it again just sell the webinar, right? Um, and then also like teams can learn the information and have that for for going forward. Cause I know there's a big gap. Mm -hmm. in coaching between like they we know what the athlete like we know what a perfect delivery is supposed to look like we know we kind of know how we're supposed to sweep to be effective but then when it comes to like managing the athlete in terms of like continuing to train like coaches aren't taught that they're not taught about the strength and conditioning side of things so I'm hoping that um a I mean as an athlete growing up I loved this stuff so I just stole from other sports because there was nothing for curling. But then I do know lots of curlers now that are like soaking it all in. So the coaches get it, the athletes get it, parents are interested. Yeah. All that fun stuff. Just filling in gaps, left, right, center.
1: Yeah. Laughing it
3: up on, on the Instagram daily. And yeah.
1: Yeah, I know I would also like to pretend that there's no covid, but for for this webinar, <laughs> for this webinar to be clear, it's not just for like the hyper elite curler that's, you know, olympics or bust, right? The the competitive club curler like pretty much anyone can benefit from this as long as they're trying, you know, as long as they're trying to make an effort to improve their training and related to curling, right?
3: Yes, absolutely. So, like a curler that's why I say I train competitive minded curlers because I work with the elite and I work with people who literally just started curling last year. Like to me the demands of the sport are the same whether it's your first year or your 20th year. Um and then in terms of when it comes to training and managing your like off-season training and in-season training, it's it's a different question like the, the competitive curlers yeah it's going to look different for them because they might be going to different tournaments every single week but like my parents go to the, the curling club two or three times a week they practice and then they're mm-hmm. like well do i still lift weights do i still go for a run do i still do xyz so that's the 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 webinar is supposed to answer those questions regardless of if you're prepping for the briar or pre- prepping for your league <laughs> c finals or whatever
1: mm-hmm. All right. Fantastic. Well, uh, Stephanie, thanks for taking a minute to talk to us and, and update us on all this. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be in touch on, on anything you have coming up in the future.
0: Yeah,
3: this is awesome. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. You can find all of our previous episodes and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app, and leave a review. If you enjoyed listening, the greatest compliment we can receive is when you tell a friend about us. That helps us grow and helps us share our love of this great game. If you have a comment or question, or you just want to talk about curling, you can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at Curling podcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Rocks Across the Pond. Thank you again, and we will talk to you real soon.